0: on the podcast, he is Chris Marlar. I am Connor McEara. Marler, there are about uh, roughly a million things going on in college football as we speak. We are, I mean, we're we're right now we're preparing for conference championship weekend. Uh, Auburn is conducting a coaching search. Vandy just hired a head coach. Shout out to Clark Lee. Um, people are super upset about the playoff rankings, and I, I also may or may not be Kentucky's new offensive coordinator. And uh, early signing period, all going on right now. Just, you know, another yeah. typical Wednesday, I guess.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, shout out to Vandy for tagging the wrong coach uh, when they originally, or wrong person, when they went to tag Clark Lee on Twitter when they hired him as their head coach. That was a nice nice move.
0: Poor Clark Lee. You know, he's gonna, Clark Lee is going to have a solid, like, year, year and a half before like people actually learn how to pronounce his name within the SEC like if you go on a radio show or something like that somebody's gonna say like Leah or something like that mm-hmm. they're gonna want to do all the vowels and stuff but if he gets that big time win that's gonna that's gonna prevent people from being able to butcher his last name so good for Clark Lee for being able to to get the right uh, the right tag when you get like the biggest job of your life good for him yeah lot going on, a lot going on today. We're talking National Signing Day, early signing period, whatever you want to call it. A lot of things that have happened today in the SEC, of course, it is still going on. We're recording this at three o'clock on Wednesday. We've got SEC picks and over-unders to get to. We've got SEC championship predictions to get to. Uh, interview that we recorded with Mike Farrell, rivals rivals godfather that we're going to get to maybe even a little bit of playoff predictions and stuff at the end we've got a little bit of fourth and wrong backman. we've got just a million and a half things to get to but Marler, before we do that i prepped for this had myself a little texas pete wing sauce a little chicken a little peppers usual connor lunch very very delightful satisfying meal the only thing that i can record this podcast eating I, otherwise i'm like the entire time my stomach you know like when your stomach's just rumbling the entire time and yeah. you feel like crap not with texas pete
1: no never with texas pete uh and, and guys i've said it all all season long it's a season of giving make sure you're giving some texas pete um to the the ones you love it, it's a great stocking stuffer. it's a it's great to just wrap it up people will think it's a you know like a miniature bottle of, of booze but it's not it's even better than that it's got more flavor uh, and it lasts longer uh, get yourself some Texas Pete today. Get the wing sauce. Get the get the um, the hot sauce. Get you know some of the Texas Pete dust, What Texas Pete, dust, Texas Pete dust. Whatever you want. Uh, make sure you get it from TexasPete.com. dot com, and make sure you are still sending us uh, your pictures of your home gating throughout the rest of the year because we have bowls that start next week. Uh, making sure you are saucing like you mean it.
0: Weird signing day. Really, really weird. Um, a lot of places that we could start if we really want to cover a lot of this with with Mike Farrell as well but wanted to hit on some of the key points in the SEC that we saw play out today um Georgia losing a commitment to Deion Sanders at Jackson State can't say I saw that coming so this kid Dijon Warren number one Juco cornerback in America four-star kid had been committed to Georgia for a little bit he went to Lackawanna Community College which I'm pretty sure I'm like 90% sure that's Ryan's business school in the office
1: yeah, probably
0: so. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more kids start off at HBCUs, transfer maybe. Um, but this this isn't even the first poach job that Dion has had from the SEC, which is pretty amazing because no. he brought his son Shiloh Sanders from South Carolina over to Jackson State as well. I know Georgia fans, you're gonna you're being like, oh, you're you're just taking shots at Georgia. No, we're not. Georgia did sign Xavier Sori, the uh, four the five star outside linebacker from IMG. The, the more notable thing probably for the day, just for the day itself, I, I'm sure that that is going to have a great career at Georgia, all that. So did you see this? Jackson Meeks, Georgia commit,
1: mm-hmm.
0: commits to Georgia, and then immediately after his mom gives him a Chevy Impala, um, which I, I know everybody's going to look at that and say, oh, of course. It yeah, his mom gave it to him. It definitely wasn't you know the bag man or anything like that. First of all, three-star kid, so I don't know. Um,
1: it looked like a Hyundai. It wasn't a nice car. No offense, Jordan. Congrats on signing. It's like bro, if we're giving out $23,000 cars, like this is not impressive.
0: Watch the video from WRBL if you haven't seen it. It's actually pretty awesome. It's touching the mom's talking about, you know, how excited she was, how proud she was of her son. And I don't actually think this is that weird. Um, there was a pitcher on yeah. our baseball team, on our high school baseball team, who I remember like the day before he was committing to Valparaiso, he said um, he said to, he said to us, he's like, my parents better have a car waiting for me when I get home. Like that was just his expectation. Yeah. He wasn't like rich or anything, but when you have a college fund and it's like, all right, Hey, you're getting, yeah. you're getting, you know, a bunch of money to go to college. That's got to put it something. Right. So
1: also if anybody wants to know how that works, the whole way that you see all these Dodge chargers like that is you make a deal with a dealership. You sign a lease on day one for a dollar, literally for a dollar, and you sign your name to it. And then the expectation is you don't pay anything for the next three years. And once you sign in the NFL or whatever in your time at that university is done, then you pay the car off. That's how those deals work. It's not like people are just handing out free Dodge Chargers. Dodge Chargers. Uh, I mean, they are in essence, but that's they're legally able to get around it. So we've got to come up with better uh, recruiting scandal stories
0: yeah um that those are those are a little bit too too cliche at this point of like yeah you know because everybody thinks of the eric dickerson thing back in the day with the trans am and all that but you know there's there's probably different ways that they've been able to to figure out how to do that as, as you just mentioned yeah uh mary flipmas as well uh lane kiffin's new favorite holiday mm-hmm. i know we say this a lot but lane is just so good at this like trying to capitalize some sort of marketing scheme. And I don't even know if it's fair to call it a scheme. I mean, the shirts, those things are probably flying off the shelf. If you yeah. haven't seen the Mary shirt, shirts, very, very cool. Lane flipped um, MSU commit MJ Daniels. And then, <laughs> this, this is great. Lane retweeted Daniels' original MSU commitment tweet, which was back oh. in September, which is like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, acting like how old Miss and Mississippi State should be. Petty, yeah. I mean, the rivalry's back on. Get, just get us to the 2021 Egg Bowl already, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, LSU flipped four-star wide receiver Malik Neighbors from MSU as well. Uh, Leach did get a huge commit from four-star in-state wide receiver Antonio Harmon, but the LSU thing. LSU is looking like it's going to have a top four class. Which I mean, like two weeks ago, we we're talking about everything falling apart at LSU. And all things considered, I don't know. Feel, that that feels like a win for Coach O.
1: Well, when you have extra money funneled through a you know a children's charity, there's there's a lot of funds still available to um, go out there and get kids. I mean, the, no, all jokes aside, it's, it's it's an impressive close of a the class. Uh, they might not even be done yet. You know, they, they, there's still a couple guys left on the board that they could you know theoretically get maybe. But um, I was impressed. They did a good job. You know, what they did a really good job of was um, I wouldn't say they necessarily locked down the state of Louisiana. You don't see that anymore. Like I'll, I'll never forget two thousand seven um after the 2007 national championship so uh, because it was Saban's first year being done LSU had just won the national championship under Les Miles the top 14 commits in the state of Louisiana all went to LSU and they just did a good job of putting a fence around that state and just locking it up um you don't really see that as much anymore but you also don't really see the need for them to have to do that anymore because they're able to go out into Texas they're able to go out into uh, you know, like I'm looking here right now, Maryland, Pennsylvania, they were able to have more of a national footprint, which is, um, which is, says a lot about the program, I think.
0: Absolutely. And there, by the time people are listening to this, they're going to know about uh, Mason Smith, the five-star, um, who's committing at 430. So uh, big time, obviously, in-state get that would be for LSU. Um, another interesting storyline that we saw kind of play out. Um, so Auburn, Arizona, and Illinois all don't have head coaches. For, for Wednesday for yeah. early signing period which the bizarre nature of 2020 that's just how it worked out I, I wonder how much of this Kevin Steele push that we've seen in the early part of the week last few days uh, as Gus Malzahn's coaching s- replacement search has begun I wonder how much of Kevin Steele being rumored as a name has been floated out there by people who are you know, maybe have a little bit of a vested interest in this recruiting class and would love to show off some stability and show, hey, look, we're going to keep the, the defensive coordinator. There's no need to decommit or go anywhere else. I, I don't know. Am I, am I being a little bit too cynical with that?
1: Um, probably. I mean, I think, you know, from what we've seen, I, I, I honestly, I think Cecil Hurt, who probably has a better idea of what's going on over there than we do, um, he, he tweeted out a gif of, uh, it's a fantastic gif too, uh, from the movie Maverick where, uh, they're like, I wonder why he's got, you know, they have Kevin Seal going out there and there's at least five guys that have said they're waiting to see what the Auburn head coaching situation will be like. I wonder why he's going to be the the vessel to, like, deliver this signing day speech. And, and he flashed with the gif of, like, Maverick showing all of his cards in a poker game and then, and then, you know, accidentally turning him around. Like, I think a lot of people believe that Kevin Seal is going to be the guy. So I think there's probably, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, there might be a reason to all that
0: yeah i mean kind of either way it makes sense for you to do it like whether you think he's a guy or not it's kind of smart to to trot him out there and and acts like you're you know you're just making a, a transition we've seen a lot of other programs go through that maybe not so much on the defensive coordinator side and more right. so with the young and up-and-coming offensive mind but still uh, auburn started off the day i think at like number 43 in the 20 24 7 uh, sports class rankings but they actually were, were moving up. Understandably, had a handful of guys hold off, but were still able to sign four-star quarterback uh, Demetrius Davis. Um, pretty bold move, not knowing the offense. I, I, I don't know. That's yeah. that's interesting for a four-star quarterback who could probably have a ton of offers, not criticizing or anything like that, just kind of atypical for a blue-chip quarterback to, to want to do that. Um, they also kept Oklahoma tight end transfer Grant Calcetera, still signed with them as well. But, okay. I mean, Kevin, Kevin Steele, like, got up to that press conference and was talking about how fun it was to be able to try and flip kids. Like, yeah, I you know, a little bit different to see that kind of tone on signing day, but uh, very different um, overall for, for Auburn in general. But he kind of knew this class was gonna, not going to be, you know, an all-timer for, for Auburn, given what they're going through with the coaching search. Yeah. So this is going to sound boring, but hear me out here. Um. And I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir for for some. Nick Saban's about to sign the number one class.
1: Well, we are 11 minutes in. We're going to talk about the team that signed the number one class. This is amazing. He, he is. He's signed yet maybe the most impressive class he's ever signed. It's ridiculous. They have six five-stars. They signed an ESPN 100. It's the first time this ever happened. He signed the number one and two overall offensive tackles. They got another kid named Devonta Smith. They got another dual-threat quarterback out of Texas named Jalen. It is rolling. Y'all are in trouble.
0: So, I mean, yeah, you you know, you flip a a four-star defensive end from LSU, feeling pretty good. He's currently got 12 of the top 100 kids in the country committed or signed. He's got three of the top eight players, 24-7 sports composite. Got a couple of twins named Brockermeyer. He's got a couple of five-stars from ING. He's even got two of the top three in state recruits. If Saban signs the number one class, it'll be the ninth time in 11 years. Saban just turned 69 years old a few weeks ago. He currently has the number one recruiting class in America. He's got the number one team in America with perhaps his best team yet. His team just went 10-0 against all SEC competition. No cupcakes in there. There's no no easy wins necessarily in, in, in the typical sense of what you would look at for, oh yeah, group of five, FCS, whatever. They're not playing the Citadel this year. Won those games by an average of 33 points. Now he's gotten closer than 15 points to his team. We've said this a million times, and he's essentially two wins away from ring number seven. I don't want to see, at least for the foreseeable future, I, I don't know. Like maybe we're gonna have to set a date when it's okay to actually have this take again, but it's not for a long time. I don't want to see the Sabin is losing his touch take. I just don't. It's ridiculous at this point. If yeah. anybody out there is holding on to that. I mean, goodness gracious, how can you not look at what this guy has done and just sit there and, in amazement? Because everybody thinks this thing just runs itself. No, it really doesn't. We're going to look back on this one day, and we're going to be like, holy crap, this was something that's going to be impossible to repeat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that for years. Like, it's like it's We might see I, – I fully still believe that Georgia's going to go on a run of their own and and be able to win several national championships, and you've got the, the end of Kirby's first recruiting class um, leaving this – you know, this year, and then he's he's just still signing top-notch talent. I don't know. Maybe I'm still too high on the dogs, but uh we'll never see another, you know, we'll never see a, a, another run like this, I don't think, ever again because of uh, just how – just from the recruiting, nine times in 11 years, if he's able to even get – I mean, if he gets the playoff that's – what, six times in the last seven years they've had it. Um, if they if he wins, it'll be sixth in the last 11. It's just, it's a ridiculous run. Um, really impressive, uh, as we said. But I would say what, the SEC as a whole really um, seems to be back in order. Because we talked about, talked about, you know, like a while ago, Bama was like 50th in, in recruiting. And, I, you know, you could tell that was not going to stay. Um, that was not going to last very long. But we talk about things like the way Sam Pittman closed last year, um, the way Kiffin is able to close this year. And then, you know, being able to have... I, I think it's like, let me, let me just count real quick. One, two, three, four, um, five, six, seven, eight teams in the top 20. Um, I mean, that's, that's astounding. That's, that's astounding. Three in the top four, again, it's just it's ridiculous. So the, the SEC as a whole seems to be really, really uh, back on track in the recruiting standpoint.
0: A few other notable things I thought from early signing period, first day of it, of course, and this stuff is still unfolding as we speak. But you mentioned Kiffin. Pretty impressed with the SEC coaches in general that were in their first full cycle. I mean, Mm -hmm. Lane, top 20 class, which at Ole Miss in the non-cheating Hugh Freeze years, that's pretty rare, isn't it, I think? Yeah, Um, it is. Sam Pittman, top 20 class. Again, we knew that the way he finished last year was certainly a good sign moving forward. Everybody knows about Sam Pittman's recruiting prowess for what he did at Georgia for a long time as well. Eli Drinkowitz, borderline top 25 class at Mizzou. Like, that, that doesn't happen at Mizzou. I mean, they, they take three-star kids from Texas and they turn them into, you know, future NFL players. And instead, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're actually going to be able to get four-star kids from St. Louis and, and Texas as well and do stuff like that. Leach's class, not quite on that level, but just outside of the top 30. The good news, though, is he's got a four-star quarterback from Texas. Sawyer Robertson yeah. is a great, great quarterback name. I mean... I, I could definitely see Sawyer Robertson playing quarterback in the SEC, multi-year starter type deal. I know Will Rogers is considered the future, but I mean, if you sign a four-star quarterback from Texas with a great quarterback name, I think that's a win, regardless of the rest of your of the rest of your class. Mm-hmm. So Tennessee lost two commits right before early signing period. Feels a little bit different than last year. A little bit different, I think.
1: <laughs> they had the number one class for, like, a day and a half or something like that in a week. And, and anybody that was outside of outside of Knoxville um, was telling them, it's like, listen, man, these are all three stars. They just have it's, – it's just bulk. It, it, like, you had, like, 20 recruits. And, and I will say this. It is – it was a facade that they were ever ranked number one. Uh, it was cool for the program. It really is, and the fans get something excited about and, and to have that, um, you know, like little uh, – you know, feathering the cap there for a short while, but I will say it is—it is impressive. I know they dropped down to 15. Um, you know, I—I I was shocked that they even dropped out of the top 10 after the start they had. But to be able to hold on to some of these kids with, with such a tough year on the field, it's still impressive by Jerry Pruitt and his staff uh, to finish. You know, uh, with the top 15 class. I'm always
0: amazed when when teams are able to do that when it looks like your team is just an absolute disaster. And I guess the, yeah. the argument against that is, well, if if you're going to a team that's a disaster, they sell you on being part of the future, you can play right away. It's so like, I, I get it from that standpoint, but Tennessee is a situation in which, you know, it's hard to envision any way in which Pruitt isn't on the hot seat entering next year. And right. who knows with the rest of this year? I mean, let's not rule out anything at this point yet. You just never know. Um, it just seems like an odd thing to to be so on board with Tennessee, but people just love Tennessee. You know, if you if you grew up a Tennessee fan, you know, you, you're a four star kid in state, you're like, hey, I'll, I'll play at Tennessee regardless of who's the head coach. Then, yeah, obviously, it makes perfect sense. Um, any other big takeaways that you had that you wanted to South
1: get to- Carolina lost a player to Georgia Southern, and from all me, from my, by all means, I heard that it was because you know, he w- might have been told to like explore his options, but um. We weren't expecting a big signing day finish uh, with with a first year coach coming in right in the middle of, of the whole process, but still a little bit surprised that that that, that happened.
0: Uphill climb for Shane Beamer in year yeah. one, think that definitely not an easy situation given the timing. I don't have an official all name team or anything like that. Just four names I liked. Um, General Booty. That one went all over the place. Everybody was loving that. I don't know. I don't know how that became his real name. Um, general. John David
1: Booty's kid. I posted about this like a year ago, on a on not like a signing day, but on something, and it was like this cannot be his real name. This is a fantastic name, um, but yeah, that is uh, that that's a good one.
0: Made the rounds. Uh, Omega Blake, and it's O apostrophe Mega Blake, South Carolina wide receiver. So um, that guy better have a thousand yards, like from the jump, ready to go, because Omega. That is a fantastic, fantastic first name. Um, Taj Butts, running back, Mizzou, maybe gonna take Larry Roundtree's place. Um, Last name Butts, I think that's good if you're like running back, you're thick, thick lower half, all that stuff. Um, Butts running off again. Uh, Best, probably most fitting name in terms of like name and where he committed to and what he's going to be doing. Jackson Dart is your usc quarterback commit which yeah that is i mean last name dart come on like
1: first even... name jackson with an x that that might be my new least favorite name in the english language of just like besides like haley the the haley kaylee uh with whatever the cough. With a cough yeah i hate that um the jackson though with an x is like that just sounds like jackson dart sounds like he he was made for a disney original uh, movie back in like you know 2003 and he, he's like the quarterback that wears puka shell necklaces
0: uh is that the new is that the 2020s version of geoff jackson with an x
1: oh i don't know because geoff is like a boring name jackson sounds like a peaked in high school
0: yeah no that's that's fair any names that you, that you wanted to, to throw out there
1: i did not i did not want to do this segment because 2020 has been the worst and as the guy who has to read all the engagement from the audience the last thing i want to do is say something i think is funny and get uh, just crapped on, on social media for being insensitive. So we, I chose not to partake. I think those are great names.
0: Mike Farrell is going to have more on signing day um, as well coming up in a little bit. But let's do some SEC picks and over-unders. We've got three, three non-SEC championship games and then one, of course, SEC championship Saturday night, not Saturday afternoon this year, Texas a and Thirteen and a half point favorite against Tennessee. I guessed AM would be a twenty and a half point favorite. You guys minus twenty-three and a half. Only thirteen and a half points. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um the over-under I have is playoff resume side by sides that we see on the broadcast. I set the over-under at two and a half.
1: Oh, way over. Way over. And as it should be, because they showed them again last night. Um I guess are we not gonna talk about the playoffs first?
0: I mean, we could t- I was I was gonna talk about it, you know, I was assuming that we're going to talk about it when we talk about AM's game. I was assuming we we're going to talk about it when we yeah. talk about Florida's game and then maybe a little prediction at the end.
1: I, I just um, – I was not really surprised at this point because I think we kind of expected uh, this to be the thing at this point, which is just a joke. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, I think they'll show it a bunch of times. And it, it'll be interesting to see who's on the call because as we've seen like with ESPN, what they tend to do is they, they have to have whoever's on the call kind of go to bat for this uh, – for, like, this team, right? So we saw it with uh, Ohio State. We saw the whole thing with, you know, um, when Ohio State had the Michigan State game and we lost why this is the most important game of his career, blah, blah, blah. I wonder who will be on the call for this and have to go to bat for a because, you know, like, I hate to say it, but the Hayes kind of in the barn here. And the fact that I, I, I was shocked that we even heard if Clemson loses that they would still have a top-four spot. And, and if that doesn't tell you right there that the committee just wants to have those four teams in because – Outside of Texas, there's no better dream scenario for them to make money than having Bama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson in the top four. So, you know, I, I just at this point, it's kind of sad. I think a and had a great year. I hope they end on a, on a really strong note and, and kind of put it on Tennessee. No offense, Tennessee. But uh, I think that they deserve a lot better than, than what they got.
0: I think at this point, A&M, A&M fans are kind of – it, it looks pretty obvious to me what their playoff path is. Um, yeah. Obviously, you need to be able to beat Tennessee. Um, would help if you didn't beat them by, like, seven points. And it was a down-to-the-wire game, though I don't think that's the end-all, be-all. Um, you need also either a Clemson loss or Notre Dame getting blown out as well, or AM wins and then gets Ohio State to lay an egg against Northwestern, which Ohio State's right. a three-touchdown favorite. I mean, crazier things have happened, a la last weekend, LSU-Florida. But I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath. And, oh, by the way, just in case that wasn't enough, you probably should be rooting, if you're an a and fan, should probably also be rooting for Oklahoma to beat Iowa State just because Iowa mm-hmm. State, for whatever reason, is Jesus in, for, for some unknown reason, getting the benefit of the doubt in the weirdest way I've ever seen the selection committee continue I, to give a two-loss team the benefit
1: of the doubt. The, com- the committee said last night, like the, Gary Barta said last night, Flat out, he said, well, you know, I mean, they have that win against Texas. And it's like, why in the hell does the win against Texas, why is it being mentioned? I, I don't understand. Like, Texas is not a good football team this year. Why are we still talking about that game? And, and like, Dustin Schutte said it best. He was making fun of, of Bear, because Bear Felica, who we love and has been on this podcast, it's, like, one of my favorite people uh, in, in college football media, he even brought up uh, during, during the broadcast, he's just, like, going to bat for – um, going to bat for, for Iowa State, and I was like, you know, this is not like some bad team that, you know, this, this, and this. Like, they lost by 17 to Louisiana. And, and what Dustin was saying, too, is like, it's like he was saying, hey, guys, like, I promise, if they wouldn't have lost those two games, they'd be undefeated. Like, well, no shit, they'd be undefeated. But, like, th- like why are we still trying to go to bat for them?
0: It's bizarre. If there are people who are upset about Florida falling only one spot and not upset about Iowa State, I mean, just, that's, that's absurd. I, I think, you know, it's okay to be upset about both of those things to a certain extent. Um, A little little more on kind of Florida's ranking a little bit later, whether or not there's there's a playoff path for the Gators. It's Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's been obvious for weeks now with the Ohio State thing. Like, they can do all the side by side stuff, but let's just be honest. Like, the selection committee has already made up his mind about Ohio State. If Ohio State was going to run the table, there was nothing A and M was going to be able to do. You know, to be able to jump the Buckeyes, and that's just been the unfortunate reality for the Aggies for several weeks. For several weeks. Um, I just,
1: you know, but but don't sit here and say to everyone that, like, it's – like, I, I just I – don't try to make us all feel like we're stupid because you you wanted to put them in there. I mean, like, like they have the 79th ranked strength of schedule. It's behind Coastal Carolina. It's behind Coastal Carolina, their strength of schedule. And they are somehow still ranked fourth. And it's just like, at this point, you know, I, I brought it up yesterday like, – or I brought it up today and somebody like was, like, arguing about it on Twitter. I was like, you know, like people are really overlooking that Indiana game bring up the Indiana game all you want the other four games against teams that have a losing record and half of them have, a, have three wins. The other half have two. I just don't understand what we're doing here to, to, to pretend. And like, and like do like the, the whole mental gymnastics thing and convince ourselves that they've, they've warranted, you know, this spot. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And like, Again, they're going to go out and play Northwestern, and they're going to absolutely destroy Northwestern, in my opinion. And if they don't, it won't matter anyway because they'll, they'll they'll somehow turn into what a gutsy performance against a ranked team, and the country wanted to see, you know, yeah. uh, Ohio State go up against a ranked program, and they did it tonight, and they had a gutsy win. They've had two weeks off for every game since November seventh. Their first three weeks, they played they played three games in a row, and since then, they've had a minimum two weeks off for every game they have played. It's like. I, I just I would love to see what Bama Arkansas looks like if Bama had even an extra week to repair. Actually, that's a bad example because they already beat them fifty two to three. But like you brought up the LSU Florida thing, and and I know it seems like every single week we just get on this this I get on this like soapbox hitting on the Big Ten, but it's like you you brought up these like crazy things have happened. The LSU Florida game, the LSU Florida game, both those teams had played the prior week. Like like it's not crazier because you're talking about like. They've had three weeks to prepare for like if, if you're being told if, as long as you as long as you play six games and you're trying to get to a sixth game and then that doesn't happen, you're like, all right, well listen, you guys are still good, you guys are still good. As long as you win that Big Ten Championship, which is three weeks from now, and you get to prepare for one team for three weeks, I mean that's a that's an absolute competitive disadvantage for the other team. It's a joke. It's just a, it's an absolute joke. Switch Kellumon and
0: Justin Fields. Put Kellumon on Ohio State, put Justin Fields on Texas St and Is Ohio State still getting this kind of love right now? No. No. No, there's no way. There's just absolutely no way. The the good news for AM in terms of just this matchup this weekend, I think AM matches up really well against Tennessee. I mean, they can take away the run against Tennessee, and that's yeah. that's always what I say Mike Elko loves to do. He loves to load the box, he's gonna force you to throw, make Tennessee throw the ball with Harrison Bailey, JT Shroud, whatever quarterback Jeremy Pruitt wants to tout out roll out there. I I don't care. I don't think Tennessee puts up much of an offensive fight in this one. I, I think it, it ends up being a really rough day overall for the offense. I think they force Harrison Bailey into some of those mistakes. Even they can even get pressure on him rushing three or four. It doesn't really matter. But I, I think that this ends up being an AM win that's convincing, but maybe not necessarily lighting up the world like an Ohio State offense will or something like that. Like AM could, is gonna win this game like 28 to 7. And win mm-hmm. by 21 points, cover the spread, totally fine. But still, the selection committee will find a way to say, "Oh yeah, this really wasn't as impressive as something Ohio State did." I mean, just just brace right. yourselves for that.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm going to say that they um, that they cover. Um, I don't know uh, how close it is because for whatever reason, I, like Vegas must know something, yeah, and, 13 and I don't and know what that is. That's that is that is a weird weird line for a, a game that you would think would be an absolute. Um, Blowout. So I'll say that um, Tennessee covers somehow by some miracle, even though I don't understand why they would.
0: Another weird line on the surface, Mizzou is a half-point favorite against Mississippi State. This game being played in Starkville, I guess Mizzou would be a two-and-a-half-point favorite. You guess Mizzou would be a three-point favorite. The over-under I have is references to being a year-one head coach in any way, shape, or form. I set the over-under at four. Yeah, that sounds about right, I guess. Um, I would say push. Amazing, though, what these year one coaches have done in very different type of, especially after week one, uh, paths that they have followed. Go figure that Mizzou has the chance to get to six and four in this game. And it'd be really hard to say that Eli Drinkowitz isn't going to get SEC Coach of the Year if that were to happen. Because could actually finish the season with seven wins because they're definitely playing in a bowl game. That's why Eli Drinkowitz came out and said not even a thought, not even a decision to have yeah. to make. Um, which, getting to seven wins would be more wins than they had with a 12-game season last year. And they, last year, yeah. they had two fewer SEC games as well. Mississippi State, on the other hand, of course, one in seven since the LSU game. 14 points per game since then. The only worse Power 5 offenses than Mississippi State. You're ready for this. Oof. Vandy and Kansas. Let's Kansas just awful. Let's just combine them into one and call it Vanzas because that's yeah. really, they're two peas in a pod. Um, I, this is going to be tough. I mean, Mississippi State had actually hit 24 points in three consecutive weeks and then they went out and played in that rock fight last weekend against Auburn. You're right with the Mizzou Road thing, though. It's hard. I think that's dictating this line. It has yeah. to be right. I mean, the only road win that Mizzou has all year was that seventeen to ten game at South Carolina, where South Carolina, post Will Muschamp firing, where like this team is decimated defensively, they're a disaster. Uh, they should be. But do you, do you look at that and say, well, Mizzou is just destined to fail on the road? Mississippi State figuring some things out. This favors Mississippi State, or do you give the advantage I to would Mizzou team honestly- some honestly...
1: I would go with Mississippi State because this Missouri on the road, has just been it has been night and day. Yeah. It's been really bad. Um, and, it, like, like it's not – you know, I mean, look at the Florida game. They they got trounced by Florida. Um, gave up, I think, like – what was it, like 63 points or something like that? Or am I thinking of the Arkansas game? That's Arkansas. Um, yeah, so either closer. way, but they, they, they gave up uh, a ton of points. I mean, and that's like when, you know, we talked about how Mizzou – has, has played for it pretty close and all that kind of stuff. And they, they had won a couple in a row, but they got back on the road, and it, that's what it looked like. And, you know, they they gave up a lot of points through the air last week. They gave up a lot of yards, um, you know, on the ground and through the air last week. And, and I think that going on the road for them, I saw them get absolutely blown out way earlier in the year. I know it's earlier in the year. Maybe they've changed the team. I'm going to take Mississippi State to win outright. Hmm. I don't hate that. I think it's going to be close. I think, though, that if there's one thing that I have confidence in in this game,
0: because as up and down as Mizzou's offense has kind of been this year, Larry Roundtree has been phenomenal. And even yeah. last week in a game against Georgia where you knew it was going to be kind of tough sledding for him as well against that run defense, I think that they can rely on him because you can actually be one-dimensional against Mississippi State and move the ball mm-hmm. and sustain scoring drives. So I'll take Mizzou kind of reluctantly to win like a 24-17 to Type of game? Um, don't think they're going to be a ton of eyeballs on this one. Just a guess. Right. Just a guess. Ole Miss LSU. There should be a ton of eyeballs on this game because this game should be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Ole Miss is a two and a half point favorite. I guess that LSU was going to be a three and a half point favorite. You guessed LSU was going to be a three point favorite. So that's interesting in itself. Um, the over under I have is mentions of any sort of shoe. I set the over under at three and a half.
1: Uh, over for sure. Gotta put that I, I wonder what what yeah I, I wonder what kind of trolling Kiffin is going to do before this game. Yeah,
0: the the pregame interview he's got to have something dialed up. Maybe maybe a Friday tweet involving some shoes yeah. or something like that. But any chance to kind of poke fun, Kiffin usually doesn't whiff on those. Um, yeah. The over under the actual over under for this game is seventy eight and a half. <laughs> wow, that means forty two to thirty six would hit the under. I mean
1: yeah, that's ridiculous. I,
0: don't. If there are people who are saying, oh, it's so stupid to have non-conference championship games this weekend, you know what? Shut up. Just appreciate the fact that this game is being played at all because this should be awesome. LSU put up. Yeah. LSU still, like, despite the fact that off, defensively they, they made those key plays to be able to beat Florida, they still let up a ton of yards last week against Florida. Yeah, like and, over 600. Yeah, like Lane with a, with a week off, last regular season game of the year. Huge,
1: huge bag of tricks that Lane's going to pull out. Yeah, without a doubt. I think in and, and the trolling, by the way, I don't think it'll come from a tweet. I think it'll come from him getting off the bus. Like he's been known to have some sort of swag to get off the bus, mm. uh, whether it's like an A.J. Brown jersey or, or whatever. I, I wonder what uh, – I think he'll have something in store for him from that. Maybe it'll be our um, who throws a shoe shirt from Breaking Tea. You never know.
0: Ooh, that'd be a good one. Um, shout out to Breaking Tea. Maybe just Lane shows up for the first quarter with one shoe on, one shoe off. That'd be good too. I'd yeah, like that'd that. be good too. What does jo- Max Johnson do for an encore? Because you come off of a big emotional game like that. You're a true freshman, kind of all eyes on you all of a sudden. If he goes off in this game, the Max Johnson hype train is going to be something. Because yeah. remember, LSU, of course, so graciously took itself out of bowl contention. Um, yeah, it Really nice. took one for the team being able to do that. This is LSU's last game of the season. What happens then this offseason if Max Johnson goes off in this game and the two games that he ends on are really impressive performances? What happens with the whole Miles-Brennan thing? Very, very interesting potential quarterback storylines for LSU moving forward if Max Johnson goes off.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, You know, I I think that entire thing will be uh, up for grabs um, no matter what, you know, going into next year. So I wouldn't say that I would necessarily – um, pick, you know, who's going to be the starter based off of this game, or, or or what that does for his hype going into next season. I, I think that it's going to be a wide open race, no matter what. So um, I'm, I'm not sure what else he could do, but I, I th- there is also something to be said for him having, you know, people don't forget, and people, you know, will not forget. Like that, that's that's an all time win for the, not an all time win, but that that's a I mean, that's a top ten win for that program in the last decade. Like like you you take a, aside the 2009 season because that's you know that's like a, a championship run, but you know, 24-point underdog on the road and ruin somebody's season, like, and that kid's at the helm, at quarterback, as a true freshman. I think that, you know, th- th- that says a lot. Um, if he has another big game, I'll tell you one thing I wouldn't be surprised about, and that's if, uh, what's his name, is in the transfer portal by the end of the year. TJ Finley or Miles Brennan? TJ Finley. Yeah, yeah, I
0: could definitely see that happening. And TJ Finley got his shot. He had the, the, the yep. chance to be able to take that starting job and run with it, and, you know, Max Johnson, when you have a game like that, you're right, people don't forget. I took Ole Miss in the preseason, and I'm sticking with it. Sticking with it. I Think it's gonna be a shootout. Um, I, I realized that LSU played much, much harder last week and did not look like a team that had given up. And I give LSU so much credit for that, I really do. But hard for LSU to get up after a big emotional win like that. I think it's it's different if you know LSU had a bye week or something like that coming into this. But right. big emotional win, big physical game, something. I, I think that Ole Miss wins wins in a shootout, and Lane at least makes his his last. closing argument for sec coach of the year
1: i'm gonna take lsu i i want to take Ole miss but at the same time looking at this team and looking at what lsu has um what they did last week and 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 what they could do to finish the season i think it's it would be they have not given up on the season like i like i so you know uh overreactively i guess uh said several weeks ago so I'll say LSU wins outright at home uh in Death Valley. I
0: don't even think I don't think it's an overreaction though. I mean we 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 watched what happened. We watched dudes running open. I, I don't think it was. It was no, I'm wrong. saying they,
1: they quit on the season, but like like after the Auburn game. Like I th- I thought they were going to quit on the entire season and they didn't. They, yeah. and, and like everything would have kind of suggested that, that wasn't that bad of a response, um, watching that Bama game. But I mean that, that I mean it takes a lot for a team to come back from from that and, and that, that just absolute like shellacking a week later to, to beat that team just, you know, so I'm impressed
0: the team that LSU took down last week is still playing in an SEC championship Alabama is a 17 and a half point favorite for this one you guessed that right on the dot uh, I had guessed that the line would end up at minus 19 monitor that line moving forward but you definitely nailed that um, the under I have is Gators playoff path discussed on the broadcast i set the over under at four
1: i'm gonna say under because i don't think that we're gonna to get to that conversation um i mean they would have to be in the game for a while for that exactly to yep exactly um i saw
0: a lot of reactions to florida's ranking on tuesday night <laughs> saying that it was definitely way too high and what a joke the selection committee isn't watching the games There's something to be said for that. People were saying, of course, how do you only drop one spot after losing to LSU? And people are looking at that in a vacuum. They didn't then cite, well, Florida has the head to head against Georgia. Georgia, who has two losses, had a convincing road win against a top 25 Mizzou team. So, what do you like? You want to be able to reward Georgia, right, for doing that. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to drop Florida to a certain degree. But Florida go- was going to be ahead of Georgia. Georgia was the buffer for Florida. And you kind of knew that you should have been able, like, people should have been able to kind of figure out it wasn't going to be like Florida fall into 13 or 14 where they're five spots behind Georgia when they've told us, look, the A&M Florida thing, the head-to-head, it matters. And that's ultimately what they turn to. So if there's one area where I actually thought they were kind of consistent, I actually thought that was one.
1: Yeah, I just I disagree with the fact that like when when you lose to a team of that like um, like when you lose to that team on senior night at home with with all of those things in place, I just don't get it. I, I just I don't understand what the point is. Um, you know, like I, like why they play the games. I mean, like if, if they're if they're gonna drop one spot, at, I mean that's a horrific loss. Like mean, that, that loss, ta- like should have taken them out of the playoff race, right? Like I, I don't understand. That's exactly what that loss should have done. It would have done that for, if Ohio State had that loss, right? Like we would have expected them to be out. If Iowa State, um, even though they already have two losses, uh, Iowa State, lost, Iowa
0: State can do no wrong. Let's let's, let's apparently let's, not. Yeah,
1: but but regardless, like it, it it does. It says to me, like why did we play the games? Like I, like I don't. I just don't get how there's just so little of this that factors in like, I've never seen the eye test matter this much from a group of people that I don't, I don't understand what their eyes are looking at. It, it, like, it's just, just say it's the brand, just say it's the name on the side of the helmet. Just say it's how much money you can make from them being in the playoff. Cause that's all it is.
0: It's the offense. It's high profile quarterbacks. It's it, it, all of those things I think are, are factored into it. And we're seeing that play out this year. Absolutely. What are the Gators playoff chances? I Said the other day, and you know, to a certain extent, I still believe this: that Florida's playoff chances are essentially dead. I'll I'll say this though: if you're a Florida fan, you got to be rooting for a three-team parlay this weekend. That's it. Mm-hmm. Florida has to obviously beat Alabama, which good luck on that three-score underdog. Um, oh, by the way, you also need Tennessee to beat A and M, which Tennessee two-touchdown underdog. You also need Northwestern to beat Ohio State. And that's the one that should make you scratch your head and say, "Well, this thing probably isn't going to happen."
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I saw several tweets from last night of like, you know, the Undertaker theme, or you know, him come like waking up from the dead and all that kind of stuff. And maybe a is. I mean, they could beat Bama, sure. Maybe they beat Bama this weekend. I don't know. They have they have like Kyle Pitts back. I don't think Mullen's going to sit him out this week, which is probably for the best. Um, I just don't, you know like i said this i said this when like it happened to georgia i said it when it happened to florida i said it when it happened to lsu it it gets it gets old playing with that that target on your back i mean it gets old it gets it gets it's tough it's not it's not easy for everyone i remember like in in college we we had we were the like my sophomore year we were the number one ranked team in the country for for like a third of the season and we had won somewhere around like 28 straight games which is like when you have a weekends in baseball, like when you're playing, like it was Division Two, I understand that. But at the same time, our conference had like, I don't know, five, six teams ranked in the top 20. Like it was a very strong conference. When you're having to play three-game series every weekend and you're sweeping them and stuff like that, it, there were so many times where we were like, God, this is like, how do we won 25 in a row? Like the target on your back, because everyone's going to throw their ace. Everyone's going to give you their best shot. It's tough to keep up with that over and over and over again. And Florida found that out. I wonder if this is like a new, a new like, Knew us who this type type game from, yeah. from Mullen, like where if he's able to have some kind of refound, like hey, against all odds, like us against the world. Because I'm telling you what, that's how their fans have kind of taken it, and it's a very quick transition from what we saw a couple weeks ago from them being, you know, very <laughs> like arrogant about this game to all of a sudden, like, nobody's giving us a shot. Well, nobody's giving you a shot because you didn't earn the right to be given a shot after what you did at LSU last week. So,
0: you mentioned Kyle Pitts, um, playing in this game as we found out. Angry Kyle Pitts? You think maybe just a little bit? I I don't know. He
1: could be angry. He could be sad. He could be happy. It it won't matter. He's still gonna put up 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns. Probably will. Um, Shadow Patrick Sertan on him. Maybe.
0: Interesting that five of the seven games that Kyle Pitts has played in this year were against Saban disciples. Ironically enough. And none of them, of course, had the answer. So I, of course, pictured this in my mind of like Saban calling a bunch of his former assistants, be like, "What'd you do with Kyle Pitts? What'd you do with Kyle Pitts?" And they're like. Uh, I got nothing, boss. I got nothing. Uh, As long
1: as it wasn't Kiffin and the defense he tried (laughs) to throw out there at him because that was atrocious. Alabama's
0: pass defense post Ole Miss. It has been darn good. Alabama going into this game, 317 minutes and 52 seconds without allowing a passing touchdown. That streak dates back to the Tennessee game on October 24th. and Somebody might have heard that and thought to themselves, wait a minute. Didn't they have a passing touchdown allowed against LSU? They should have, but Kayshawn Butte dropped the ball on the goal line. So technically, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, technically, it wasn't a passing touchdown. The Tennessee game was the last time that Alabama um, allowed uh, a completion that was more than 30 yards. That 30 yards through the air. Since then, they have not allowed a single pass that has traveled 30 yards through the air. The post Ole Miss numbers are just absurd. 4-9 to nine TD to INT ratio, 5.5 yards per attempt, 53% passing, no 300-yard passers, five consecutive games without allowing a passing touchdown. Um, why is Bama so good at this? It helps when you have a loaded secondary, obviously, and Malachi Moore, and, and of course you're looking at Sertan and Josh Job, and these guys are playing at a super high level. I think the, the big thing, too, is Christian Barmore allows you to rush mm-hmm. three, and what he's able to do from that standpoint and give you more help on the back end I mean, I think that this he's is been going to a nightmare. To, he, he has been. Since he's been healthy, he's been so unbelievably good at getting into the backfield. This is going to tell us so much though about Bama's championship upside is how do they how do they handle a team that has a a, a passing attack as prolific as Florida's because in mm-hmm. these seven games, of course, post Matt Corral, they have not seen a quarterback that was really able to stretch the field. And you're going to see either probably like a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields in the playoffs. So obviously very, very important to show from Bama's standpoint, hey, you know, if you allow 45 points again or something like that, it'll leave you kind of scratching your head and wondering what exactly the potential is for this team in the playoff.
1: Yeah, so I I fully expect that to be the takeaway that Bama fans have after this game. I think it's going to be a, not like back to the drawing board or like we're, you know, the confidence is completely stripped away, but I I think this is going to be like, oh, God, we're not as dominant as we thought we were because the way the season has closed, they've they've played a lot, you know, easier teams, especially from a passing standpoint. There's, there's, if you watch video of of Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts in the red zone, it's ridiculous and it's it's terrifying and scary and all those things. Um, and it should be because they he he's been just absolutely outstanding this in this entire year. And what he's able to do is put balls into like a window where only Kyle Pitts can go get it because he's he's basically a you know a six inch differential um, going into you know or going into a one on one against the defensive back. Cause I, I don't think they're gonna put certain on him. Uh, by himself, I, I really don't. I, I think that they might, they might. Um, I don't know if you, if you can really bracket him because this is a very talented, uh, a very talented receiving core in general. Um, but I will say they can take away the run because I don't think the run game is anything they're really fearing that much. And, and Saban could try to make him play left-handed. I fully expect Florida to put up thirty points in this game, put up four hundred yards, four fifty through the air, and I think that Bama goes. I think Bama wins, but I think they leave Atlanta with a, a little more humble uh, approach to the playoff because they are going to th- – this is what it's going to look like from now on. Yeah. Like the, the ideal thing for, for Bama like in the playoff would be you get to the playoff, Clemson beats Notre Dame, Clemson is, is in two, Ohio State is three, Notre Dame is, is four because there's I no agree. way they're going to make Clemson and Notre Dame play again unless Agreed. it was somehow like the second greatest game of the year. Mm-hmm. Get to get to go face Ian Book round one. Don't have to face uh, Justin Fields or, or Trevor Lawrence, and then get to the national championship and only play one of them. That, that's yeah. the best case scenario, I think, for Bama because you have not faced a a defense. I'm sorry, you have not faced a, a, a an offense like this since the Ole Miss game, and you haven't been able to see one that's been able like like I said this during the Ole Miss game. You know, Bama was Bama was one stop from losing that game. Like it, it like they they were one stop from from. The, like, from losing in, in Oxford, right? Like, like they won that game by however many points, but that game could have gone the other way very, very easily. Mm-hmm. I think when you – if, if they win the kickoff, you're you're going to accept the football. But you're, you're talking about you need one stop pretty much, and, and this game could be over. But, man, it's going to be tough to come up with that one stop.
0: Yeah, and, and Florida, you know, obviously comes into this game number one passing attack in the country. 42 passing touchdowns. I agree. I I think they should still put up a good amount of yards. I I think what we'll see Dan Mullen do, the matchup to try and exploit is much like what we saw against Georgia. Bama's Mm -hmm. linebackers, if there's a weakness on this Bama defense, it is the linebackers covering in space. They've looked at Dylan Moses and Christian Harris, and who knows, Christian Harris not maybe being 100% after the shoulder thing. We'll see about that. But their linebackers covering in space, they're a little bit susceptible. They haven't necessarily seen a team that can spread them out in that way and do what Florida did against Georgia, which was we'll route them to death. We're going to see a lot of these packs, these passes to the Florida running backs. We know they can catch out of the backfield. Dan Mullen is, of course, going to want to try and take his chances with Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, those guys as well. But if you're throwing the ball 50 times in this game, you're going to have more than enough of those opportunities to try and hit a big one and do something like that. I think that's the plan of attack for Florida, not necessarily running the ball. Um, I, I think that, though, if you're Bama... You just got to capitalize on those two to three mistakes. Mm -hmm. Kyle Trask has been very, very good. He has not been perfect. We have seen what he looks like when he makes those two to three mistakes. If he gets confused by a coverage, something like that, leaves a ball up to chance that he shouldn't leave up to chance. I think that happens in this game. I think that ultimately proves to be the difference. I don't think Bama's offense gets slowed down very much at all, but I think Todd Grantham is still going to send corner blitzes and pretend like it's going to work, even though it didn't work against two true freshmen last week, and he watched a freshman quarterback and a freshman receiver dominate that. I think Mac Jones will eat that for breakfast. Mac Jones locks up the Heisman Trophy. Saban improves to 16-1 and in Atlanta. Last loss in yeah. Atlanta was to 2008. Tim Tebow might have heard of him. Bama rolls 49-28.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna take. Um, I'm gonna. This is tough, man. It, that's just so many points. It's Just so many points uh, between. I, I I've i pretty much just giving you my entire rundown. I'll tell you this, and and I need to make sure I have this. Uh, hold on, um, have this correct because I'm pretty sure I I have this stat. I've been saying it for a while. Um, I, I think that the the Bama 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 sets up really well i think to to win this game and cover the spread they, they've been fantastic in games where they've been a big favorite uh they've been fantastic in atlanta as you said uh, i'm gonna give you a different stat here that i think um is is even more important and and that's this uh since 1999 okay since 1999 they played in Gainesville. one two three yeah make sure this is right it was it was the bamas nine and two against florida nine and two and the only two losses they had came when Tim Tebow was in the orange and blue on the other sidelines. I, I just don't see Kyle Trask going into Atlanta and beating Bama for 60 minutes. And, and more than that, like, you know, honestly, maybe that's even a bad way to look at it because I could see Kyle Trask going up and putting up numbers for, for that length of time against this Bama secondary, especially because they have not been able to um, go up against an offense quite like this since the Ole Miss game, as you said. I can't see Dan Mullen out coaching Nick Saban for yeah. 60 straight minutes. And, and honestly, I'll say this. If people are going to say this I think I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. But I can't see Pete Golding being outcoached by, by Dan Mullen at this point uh, with the confidence that he should have for 60 straight minutes, at, at least in terms of, you know, he's going to have some rough moments, I think, early on. Like, you know, you look at, like, the first quarter yeah. of that game or first half of that game, I think, you know, I would not be surprised at all to see Florida jump out to a lead, maybe even a, a double-digit lead. You never know. I just I would be absolutely shocked if I was sitting there in the 4th quarter and Todd Grantham had gotten the best of Steve Sarkisian for sixty minutes, and 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 same with Mullen and Saban, and somehow Bama was on the on the losing end of this game. I, I'm, I'm going to take Florida to cover. Uh, I'm going to take Bama to win, and I think Sarkeesian has another big day. I don't think Mac wins the Heisman. I think Devonte Smith has a day, and I think he wins the Heisman. Ooh, there's bull prediction like that, yeah. like that. Yeah, the
0: Sark versus Grantham matchup is the one that I would have a lot of trouble with. A lot of trouble with seeing a path to a Florida victory. Uh, If you have not seen or listened to our SEC Championship Fourth and Wrong podcast or video, Please make sure to go and do that. It's in your feed, probably. If you're subscribed to this podcast, it's already in your feed. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, you should be. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, you should be. Go do those two things right now. We're gonna have we have more analysis on the game itself. A lot of interesting questions that we were asked thanks to people in our Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. So go make sure you do that as well. Lock of the week. I got trucked last week, man. I got just trucked again for like the second time in three weeks. Virginia let me down in the Commonwealth Cup, but we bounce back. That's what we do. We bounce back. I think it's still like nine and two on the year. So that's not terrible. Not terrible. Yeah, it's good. Um, I would stay away from the non-conference championship games this weekend. I I, I think we're going to see opt-outs all over the place. You've got coaches who had early signing period this week, so you don't know how much time they've been able to spend on game plans and stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if we got some weird, weird results in these non-conference championship type of games. So on that note, let's go with Cincinnati minus 13 and a half. Luke Luke Fickle's team is playing football for the first time in a month. You know, you know that his team is going to be pissed off. Uh, they They keep slipping in the rankings. They haven't played since November 21st. This is the same guy who said after Cincinnati's first preseason top 25 ranking in AP poll history that being number 20 wasn't good enough and that his team wasn't getting enough respect. Cincinnati's yep. going to come out with their hair on fire, and they're going to beat mm-hmm. Tulsa to a pulp. I think this is an yep. easy, easy cover for the Bearcats, and they go in undefeated to Selection Sunday, only to hear that they're not
1: in the top four. Yeah, I think um, first off, uh, Cincinnati's a, a much better team than people give them credit for. Um, that's there's. I didn't realize that next week is Bowl Week. Um, first off, the fact that we have BYU and UCF in like like less than a calendar week is fantastic. I Can't wait for that. Um, Southern Cal minus three against Oregon. I'm gonna take Southern Cal to win that. I don't think Oregon's that good. They lost to the the beeves as you guys know, earlier in the year. They've uh, they've not looked great all season, in my opinion. And and I think that Southern Cal. I know they haven't either. and They've had a lot of close wins, um, but I think that they get beat this weekend. Uh, I'm sorry. I think that they win this weekend, and um, and they are able to win the Pac-12 championship. They'll still be left out of the playoff, but I, I'll take them as my lock of the week.
0: Betting against Joe Moorhead. All right. All right. You know. It Always. It happens. Mike Farrell was gracious enough to give us some of his time. On Tuesday, we recorded with him, got into a lot of different SEC recruiting things just about how weird this has all been. Um, he broke down a ton of things for us as well. He's gonna sound super smart on that Xavier Sorry prediction, by the way. We had him do a little yep. bit of a little bit of look into the crystal ball. So here is our interview with the godfather, Mike Farrell. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Rivals National Recruiting Director Mike Farrell, a.k.a. the godfather of football recruiting. Mike, before we dig into some early signing period things, I've got to know, because I'm maybe curious about this myself, uh, how does one obtain a godfather association? Like, is that, is that self-appointed? Did someone call you that back in the day? You just ran with it? Like, What are the origins of becoming a godfather?
2: Uh, it is it's not self-appointed. That would be a little odd little egotistical (laughs) um it was it was appointed years ago uh in the mid 2000s when when rivals was a small company based out of nashville tennessee chris childers who does full ride radio worked with with us at rivals and i would fly down there every couple weeks and do video hits and, and visit with everybody and uh meetings and he just started calling me the godfather of recruiting for some reason because I was on ESPN at the time and all that, and it stuck, and I ran with it because I thought it was pretty cool.
1: I mean, I think
0: it's pretty cool <laughs> it is too. Cool, it's, yeah, like it didn't matter if someone walked up to me on the street and called me Godfather, I would go with it yeah. from that point on. So Dad so me cousin Chris. That's all I got.
2: <laughs> so, I, 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 I um, do so, thank uh, Chris Childish for it all the time. I do his radio show every week and I thank him for it. But. But it is kind of annoying because people think I give it to myself and they think I'm the pompous ass. Right. Well, we got
0: it's it's out there in the open. People yeah. have no reason to, to assume that moving forward. You are. We're talking to you today because you you are on top of all things recruiting. Which, in a time like now, where there's so much going on, obviously there's a lot that that needs to be sifted through. It's so strange that we've had a recruiting cycle like this, where we haven't had all this in-person contact with recruits. Like it's it's weird to think that a lot of these kids probably haven't even visited the schools that they're committing to because of the pandemic. For, for those who maybe don't understand just how drastic of a shift this was compared to a normal recruiting cycle, can you explain how bizarre this has been with such major restrictions on this communication?
2: Yeah, so it all started off normally, um, usually after signing day, where the 2020 class you know, finishes off in February, you have a ton of junior days where 2021, 2022 kids, all those kids go to visit school. So that was fine in February and in the beginning of March. And then the pandemic hit and everything stopped. And what that means is a lot of of missed visits in person with coaches. And then you've got the spring evaluation period, which starts in the middle of April, where coaches can actually go to you and visit you at your school. Um, And they weren't allowed to do that either. So again, lots of missed opportunities for face-to-face interaction. Summer camps were canceled. Again, lots of face-to-face interaction with coaches. You know, and then official visits were supposed to happen in the spring. Didn't were supposed to happen in the fall. Didn't again, face to face gone. So it's been zoom and DMS and texts and phone calls. Um, You know, some of these kids last spoke to the coach. They're going to commit to, you know, maybe over a year ago uh, in person. And some of them have never met their coaches in person. So, it's been a really weird year, um, and it's tough, you know I mean these kids want their official visits they want to be able to establish relationships they want to be treated like gods you know um, before right. they get to campus and then they turn into freshman turds and get yelled at but you want that <laughs> that, that that you want that five star feel you know and and they just never got it so you know I kind of feel bad for them it's first world problems I mean we got a pandemic to worry about but if you're a 17 year old kid have been looking forward to this process for a long time 2020 2020 uh,
0: for the 2021 class it sucked yeah brutal yeah when you put it like that i mean there's just so many moving pieces going on and you've even got the coaching carousel. you know the auburn thing is wild yep. because obviously the timing wasn't ideal firing a coach three days before the early signing period is just really really strange Auburn's class was already in pretty rough shape to begin with, but what are those conversations like? Is it the AD calling up recruits and telling them every step about the coaching search process, or they just have to sort of cross their fingers and hope that kids trust that they'll hire a competent replacement? Like how does all that go?
2: Well, it is very awkward. I mean, now it's the assistant coaches who have no idea whether they're going to be retained or not telling kids that they're going to be retained, you know, because the, Mm, it's every man for himself. So your job as an assistant coach now is to try to keep this class together, try to get new kids in there so that your new boss will be impressed by you and keep you. Um, Or, you know, Kevin Steele at Auburn is a candidate for the head coaching job. Um, You know, he's got to toe the line between saying, yeah, I'm going to be the next guy or I'm not going to be the next guy. And it's really awkward. Sometimes the athletic director gets involved. Um, That's usually when, you know, a coach has been dismissed and the entire staff has been dismissed, um, you know, and the season's over. This is really weird because signing week, the early signing period, has never run into the season before. It's the, This is right. the third one, and it's always a week or two after that big, you know, Black Monday where everybody gets fired, um, you know. And and now we're seeing it roll right in here. And the other weird part about it is, is the coaches are preparing for games this weekend, and signing these, to, you know, on Wednesday. So it's just it's just an odd year in that respect. So if you're a kid who's committed to Auburn, you don't know what to do. You have no idea. So the best part is you don't have to sign. You have to wait. But then, what if the new coach doesn't like you? And what if there's no room at the mm-hmm. schools that did like you? And so it's a real risky uh thing i think it's better to do it before signing day than after though um like firing a coach or having a coaching change occur right after signing day when you know that's going to be the case is it's
1: extremely
2: unethical to me so i would rather have them yeah. even if it's three days ahead of time rather than have them do it now True. Sure.
1: Mike, we um we kind of uh, have talked a little bit on social media and stuff like that, and I, and I get the feeling that we have a lot of the same DMs and angry pe- like angry people that are angry not at us, but like something we're reporting on. And so I feel like we kind of we kind of like some common ground there, and it cracks me up. But I, I want to know this: I used to be really big into recruiting, like 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 in high school and college and and, and thereafter, and, um, and it's just such a grind. But there's some incredible stories. There's some incredible stories that happen on signing day. You had like the Landon Collins thing, the Jacob Copeland, his mom thing. There's that one kid from Arizona a couple years ago who made up the entire um, uh, offer he got. What is your favorite signing day moment and like or, or surprise?
2: Oh wow, that's a that's an interesting one because you know obviously the kid in Arizona is not a favorite because nobody nobody yeah. likes that. I mean, you know, and the local media was fooled out there. Luckily, we weren't, but still. That's, that's a little bit ridiculous. I think it's Alex Collins' mom running yeah. away <laughs> from the school with his letter of intent in hand so he couldn't <laughs> sign it to go to Arkansas. I think that's – because Landon Collins occurred at an All-Star game, so it wasn't kind of – it wasn't a signing day. It was, a, it was sort of a January pre- preamble. And that was yeah. embarrassing on national television. But this was like signing day. Floyd Raven, too, is another kid long time ago uh, – I think his mom forged. No, what did she do? Oh yeah. She, she, she signed a letter that he didn't sign and she forged his signature or something because <laughs> she didn't want him to go to uh, Mississippi state or wherever it was going. And that was an interesting one, but I have this picture of Alex Collins mom, like running in the parking lot. I, I wasn't there, <laughs> but that one always <laughs> intrigues me. Uh, <laughs> and it worked out. Listen, and, and the other, you know, Paris yeah. Quandreau announced on signing day for Auburn. Oh, and, man. and a lot of people to this day still think he made a mistake and said the wrong school, and I do too. Um, and then the, the reports on the ground there that I have from people that work with me were that he got off stage, physically got sick, and then didn't sign his letter. And Gene Shizik was just blowing up his phone, and his brother was at Alabama, Ari Uh, And the next three days were just, it was kind of hell because I was up here in Connecticut tracking this story and we had like 28 inches of snow or something. So I remember, you know, just, I I remember DMing and texting with Ari and and trying to get with Cyrus and trying to get with his coach um, while I'm shoveling, you know, five feet of snow and <laughs> and signing day is supposed to be like it's it it's over like you know wednesday yeah, then fun. i can go into thursday and, and not take a vacation or go to hawaii or anything but just like start on the next class but i chased that one for three days and there's other guys you know Clowney and, and bryce brown yeah. and terrell Pryor guys that go beyond signing day and they all seem to be my assignment for some reason um <laughs> byron Coward's another one byron Coward had two letters oh. His coach wanted him to go to Florida. He wanted to go to Auburn. His coach wouldn't give him his Florida letter. So that one's intriguing as well. But these these are all high profile guys. I'm sure there's Yeah. Khalid Gloud, a linebacker in New Jersey, flipped a coin on signing day between West Virginia and Rutgers. Wow. Literally. Hopefully it went to West Virginia. He did. And he, he didn't play well. <laughs> but Okay. I don't I don't know if it was a two sided coin or what. But, you mm. know, that was, that was an yeah. interesting one as well. There's been so many stories. I, I got a book in me. I just don't know who's going to write it because I, I don't want to yeah.
1: write a book. Well, that's that's a fantastic one. I will say um, the, the Quandro thing, I remember being at Houston still. And so it's the one time that I, uh, I yelled a four-letter word out on the floor of the restaurant job <laughs> that I was working at the time. Anyway, um, next one here. So like Just following up on, on some of that, out of the first-year coaches in the SEC, and you have a lot of these guys that you have already mentioned, talked about the, the Auburn thing um, with their head coaching search. Um, out of the first year coaches so from from this last year, who are you most impressed with in, in year one of their recruiting?
2: Uh, there's a couple guys. Um, let me think. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Kiffin, um, just because of what he's doing now. I expected a little bit of a boost at the end of last season when he was hired, um, but I guess I go with Kiffin. I, I like what. Drinkwitz is doing at Missouri. That's a very low-key, good class. Um, you know, I, I I like what Pittman's doing at Arkansas as well. Uh, but I'll go with Tiffin. He's Tiffin's fun. He's interesting. He keeps things light, and uh, you know, he's going to close really strong this year after not closing so strong last year.
1: Oh. We saw Lane with the uh, the Mary Flipmas shirt. Uh, he was wearing it yesterday. Um, so, like, what's one name, or maybe a couple of names even, you expect to flip and bring some early Christmas presents in the SEC coaching staff?
2: Oh, flip alert is always tough. So there's there's Xavier Worthy, who's the wide receiver from California, who is committed to Michigan but visited Alabama. He's uh, There's a very good chance that he could end up at Alabama. I think it's 50-50, and, and by the time you hear this, you'll probably know. But... He could flip. Um, I'm trying to think of guys that are actually committed um, that are looking at the SEC because there aren't too many that are committed. Um, The flipness thing, obviously, you know, he flipped a kid from Mississippi State to Ole Miss. Uh, That was a big deal. Um, And, you know, Kiffin's just one of those guys who really loves to antagonize people. So he made a big (laughs) deal about that, and I think he made that shirt for that particular uh, commit, which wasn't a big one. It was an offensive lineman that flipped. But um, right. the, the other guys that are deciding are mostly uncommitted. You know, you're, you're Mason Smiths of the world. And, and what's going to be weird about this week is you're going to have kids secret sign. So by that, I mean they're going to sign with a school Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, but not announce it till January 2nd. Because the NBC All-Star game got right. canceled. But NBC is doing a show, I think a two-hour show, where all the kids are going to declare. So, you know, Tristan Lee, who's between Oklahoma and Florida, could have signed with one of those two schools, and we won't know. Um, and there's a lot of kids like that, too. So, I think when you're talking about the SEC, Alabama might get nobody. They might get nobody and still finish first. Cause that's how good this class is. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> or they could, or they could, you know, pull a surprise. I mean, they've already got 20 plus kids in the class, so it's a, it's a big class. But, or they could pull a surprise like a and Sori, who's supposed to go to Georgia, supposed to be a lock to Georgia. That's the type of kid where it's like, if you put on an Alabama hat, you you would never be surprised because it's Nick Saban. Right.
0: How how concerned should South Carolina fans be that this class is lacking numbers in a major way and is kind of looking like what Arkansas's class last year was looking like early on with Sam Pittman before he went on that just rampage at the end to be able to salvage that class and did some extraordinary things but is this a concern that South Carolina is really lacking those numbers with Shane Beamer or do you think this thing is going to get sorted out
2: I think it's good I mean uh, what I call um, transitional classes where you started with one coach and you move to another one rarely finish very strong and rarely are those guys in that class a real huge part of your turnaround. If you do turn it around, um, even when Urban Meyer took over for Ron Zook, his class was ranked I think 18th or something like that. And there were some good players that impacted, but it was his next class and the next class after that, that really pushed him to the next level. So to have small numbers, that means you've got bigger numbers for 2022, which is good. Um, and and 2023. So I I don't I I wouldn't be concerned if I'm a South Carolina fan because this is a reboot. You know we're turning off, we're turning off the power, and we're you know recycling our our internet or whatever the heck you want to call it. And and we're just gonna hope <laughs> that it that it comes back on. You know like it's when cable goes out and you're like oh I'm gonna unplug it and plug it back in. That's what we're doing here. So you don't worry that there's a small amount of kids in this class and then it's not a sexy class. Uh, you worry about 2022, and, and I don't think they'll reach on a bunch of kids. You know, this class has 10, I believe, um, maybe 12. But it's real small, and it's going to be small. So South Carolina fans have to hope that Shane Beamer can learn from his father as far as being a head coach and a manager uh, and also learn from Lincoln Riley as a recruiter.
0: And then just go to the track team and get guys who can play on special teams and have them yeah. block field goals and do all that stuff. I'm sure that'll be in the cards as well. Um, most people would look at a situation like LSU, and I think if you're a casual fan, you would assume that this year has been so embarrassing for LSU, so much turnover, you know, coaching staff, you know, players from that championship team, of course. And you would assume that recruiting would fall off, but that hasn't happened at all. Why has LSU been so successful, and is it possible that the Tigers finish with like a top-two, top-three type of class?
2: Um, they're going to have a very interesting go of things this week. And again, they're preparing for a game as well, which is a nightmare for them. Um, but they're number six right now. Uh, they've only got 19 commitments. We count the top 20 in your class. So the next commitment they get will be all pure points on our system, mm. which means that if they get a four-star kid, they'll pass Clemson. Um, and be number five. I don't think they can get to number two. Uh, you know, Mason Smith, the defensive tackle out of Louisiana, who's down to LSU and Georgia, is a guy that, you know, I think will stay home. Um, Alabama's trying to steal away Sage Ryan, who's a five star athlete that's committed to LSU. I think he's going to stick with them, too. But they've got some guys that aren't signing early that are going to push it to February, and that's going to be really interesting to see. Like Ray John Davis, a California kid. Has decided not to sign early. Um, you know, I think they'll be wow. top ten. Here is my dog on this, book. No, man. but not top, not top two or three. Absolutely not top two or three.
0: Mike has Coach O in the background right now, and he's like, yeah, "How sweet. dare you not say we're going to be in the top four. Um Like, how how much faith do you have in Brock Vandegrift becoming the guy at Georgia and not falling victim to Kirby overthinking things?
2: Um. I have confidence in him. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't know. You know, the quarterback situation, if, if I were in the same shoes as Kirby Smart, what would I have done? Um, first of all, I would hope that Jacob had never got hurt because he was promising as a freshman and then got hurt, and that led to Jake Fromm. Then I would be very happy with Jake Fromm leading me to a national title game and the leadership he shows. And thrilled that Justin Fields decided to be the third five star quarterback to come into my uh, recruiting class. Then I don't know what I do. I mean, do, do you do you bench from for Fields? And if you don't, then Fields is likely to leave. So it's a difficult situation with Vandegrift that'll be less crowded. So, you know, the quarterback room will be completely different for him. And I think he'll be the guy after JT spent another season there. And, you know, kirby won't be overthinking sometimes it's not a good thing to have too many good quarterbacks sometimes it's really yeah. bad
1: I, I, so sorry this, this, now the garbage trucks outside we got noises all over the place over here um the state of florida it, it always seems like it's just loaded with talent we always hear the thing about california texas florida who has the most talent um i'm looking at this list and i feel like we say this every year Uh, And, you know, I think it it looks like Florida has, like, one guy out of the top ten in that state. There's several five-stars in there. When does this become a problem for Mullen & Company um, that that he's not getting and keeping those top-tier talent guys, a a majority of them at least, at home in state?
2: It's kind of a problem now because it it doesn't look like they're going to close very well. Now, again, some of these are IMG kids. So, JP Latham's Mm -hmm. from Wisconsin, but he's still going to Alabama. That's not far from Florida. So you can't really say, well, he's a Midwest kid. He went back home. No, he lost him to an SEC rival, and that's never good. You know, Plant City kid going to Oklahoma, that's never good. Mario Williams. So Alabama's a real problem for him. Miami's been recruiting extremely well, and I think the advantage of the, the pandemic for Miami is that a lot of the kids down south are staying home. You know, the the the, the James Williams of the world, who is a lock for Georgia, but, uh, you know, wants to stay closer to home, play for Ed Reed. It's a problem, though, because the one guy they do have, Tyreek Sapp, has academic issues and might end up at Alabama. So every year, Florida fans think this is the year that that we're going to recruit like Urban Meyer, and they were obviously very spoiled with the Urban Meyer years, um, and they always fall flat and this year it looks like they're going to fall flat as well because Terry and Arnold is pushing the defensive back from Florida is pushing his decision back to February. Zavian story is probably going to go to Georgia, the kid from IMG Alabama and Miami have a lot of the top 10 kids there. So it's a problem, but, but again, I do like Corey Collier. I do like uh, Jason Marshall. They're, They're two defensive backs in this class, but you would expect Florida to get more guys like this. Um, and, and I think the fan base is going to be disappointed a little bit.
0: Who's a, uh, and maybe just hinted at it right there, but who's a non-five-star kid who's signing with an SEC school that we need to be aware of right now? Like, give me the kid that Marler and I can go to bat for from the jump so we can sound really smart moving forward. We'll give you credit if you're right, and then if you're wrong, we'll just kind of forget about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you want to be smart. I got your guy for you. Shamar Turner out of Texas. Uh, he's going to Texas A&M. He's 6'4", 282, looks skinny, so still has room to fill out. Um, he's going to be a freak. Now, he's not Miles Garrett. He's not as as broad or long as that. He's not the Marvin Leal. He's not as thick or strong as that. He's kind of in between. But he's going to be a defensive end that's going to wreak havoc. Um, and he's the, our highest-ranked four-star he was a kid who just missed the cut for five so that's who I would put my money on but if you want to play the numbers just pick a wide receiver going Alabama so go to Corey <laughs> Brooks yeah. yeah I mean go to, to Corey Brooks from Florida Bradenton four-star kid going Alabama uh they pr- do pretty well with wide receivers from Florida and uh yeah. he could be the next guy so I you know you, you guys figure it out you can take the shot and look real smart on a defensive guy that no one's ever heard of or you could just say wow i'm going to take you, cory brooks man he's going to be the next ridley and cooper and on and on it goes so it's just nuts with alabama
1: i'm going right, to take uh i think i think his name is kendrick blackshear um from texas uh, who looks like yeah, a grown-ass man right now. That kid. He looks like yeah.
2: <laughs> he's had some injury problems, though. Sometimes you're too muscular. Like, I don't have a yeah. problem. I've got no muscles, right. so I don't pull anything. <laughs> this dude is 100,000% yeah. sinew. So he's had injury problems, but
1: he looks like Khalil Mack now. Yeah. Jeez. The only thing that worries me about him is, is, like you said, that... The, he, he, it almost worries me and reminds me, of, was it Jeff Luke? It was a kid from Florida that I think went to yep. Florida or Florida State, the five-star big. Yeah, okay. So, like, I hope it's not, like, one of those situations. But, yeah, that kid, uh, he, looks, he looks the part. Um, all right, my last question for you. A, a QB could be a five-star, could be a four-star, whatever. But give us a, a name of a quarterback because this is happening more and more nowadays that steps in right away as a true freshman and uh, it makes a difference next year, um, you know, either in the SEC or, or nationally
2: um sec or national? because i got two pac-12 guys and obviously the pac-12 doesn't count on saturday down south because this is not saturday That's down <laughs> uh, so west <laughs> <laughs> now you gotta find me an sec quarterback because you know jumping in right away you know i could say vane but i'm not going to because obviously jt's coming back and he's a really good quarterback as we're learning and a difference maker um and then you have to go way down to maybe Garrett Nussmeyer at um, LSU, who's from Texas. Okay. Obviously the the name rings a bell. His dad, the quarterback's coach at uh, Dallas Cowboys and the one who found Kyle Trask uh, for the Gators. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'm not sold on Max Johnson or TJ Finley at LSU as being the next guys. I mean, I liked what I saw from Max in the Florida game and I liked the heart that, that he showed there. But, I just am not sold on either of those guys being the ones that take LSU to the next level. So um, I'm going to go with him. But down the line, I'm going to go with Jalen Milrow, and Jalen Milrow is going yes. to Alabama. So you got Mac Jones, right? <laughs> he's got to he's got to go pro, he's gotta right. If he comes yeah. back, imagine. But he's got to go pro. You got Bryce Young, okay? He was the number two player in the country last year. Five star kid from California, like Kyler Murray reincarnated crazy talent right so where does this kid fit in i mean jalen milrow well bryce young assume he's a three and out milrow was committed to texas he decommitted because texas got quinn ewers in the 2022 class went to bama and now he's going to be a jalen hurts type there with a little bit better arm and accuracy uh, so Alabama's is never going to not lose. I mean, never going to not win a game again. I mean, they're just going to keep winning and winning, winning forever. So Goodness. down the line, no Rowe, for sure.
0: Yeah, so many of our listeners just heard that, yeah. and just groaned audibly. Well, um, Tennessee fans, i a podcast say, man. I'm
2: tired of it. <laughs> Tennessee fans want me to say Caden Salter, who's a Texas kid who's going there. But until they develop a quarterback, not named Peyton, I'm not going to say. <laughs> hey, Anybody going to them? What about situation?
1: a guy like Luke Altmeyer? Luke Altmeyer at uh, Mississippi State, or I'm sorry, he's going to Ole Miss. Never mind. He was at so He's a that's good just one. More salt in the wound, uh, yeah, he's he's
2: a good one. But Corral's back, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, very true. He's not gonna he's not gonna start right away. I mean, Matt Corral is an NFL talent. That kid had yeah. he was a five star at one point for us. We dropped him to four because of some off field issues. Um, but head on straight, that kid is an absolute potential first rounder. So. He'll be there Love for it. lane next year, so Altmaier won't have that chance. Whereas I think the quarterback competition with Nussmeier in LSU will be open.
0: Okay. Mike, we'll, uh, we know you're really busy. We'll close you out on this last one. And you've already kind of hinted at your answer for this. But, um, you know, as we said earlier, we're recording this on Tuesday. By the time people are listening to this, they'll know about a lot of these big time announcements. So now is the part where you're going to sound really, really smart. Tell us where yeah. you officially think five-star linebacker Xavier Sorri, is going between Bama, Florida, Georgia, and if you're wrong, like I said, you've got that built-in edit function that we'll go back and we'll fix, and we'll, we'll we could even dub over the actual yeah, we'll school that he went out. to. Yeah, well, we could do that, and, and we'll make you sound smart either way. So you really have nothing to lose here.
2: Uh, actually, it's, I find it better to be wrong, because more people pay attention to you when you're wrong, and they call you uh, <laughs> the worst name so true. known to man. You know so if you're if your if your future cast percentage is' like ninety nine percent then who cares but if you're like me, yeah, you're right. around eighty six percent and you get some wrong, it's better so I'm gonna say Georgia, I don't care you don't need to edit it if he goes someplace else. Alabama's running number two Florida's running number three for him um i'm gonna say mason smith l s u by the time you hear this uh Tamisi out of uh, Texas, texas texas m by the time you hear this uh and I'm gonna tell you this here's a little surprise for you ready. Bryce Foster, Texas offensive tackle, A&M instead of Oklahoma. You heard it here first. This Ooh. is Tuesday, Ooh. 3 o'clock Eastern time. Love so it. That's... Now, oh, wait. Oh, man, I blew it. This is Aaron Thursday. He's announcing Friday. Oh, well, screw it. Bryce <laughs> Foster, Texas A&M. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> I don't care. So that'll, that'll make me look super smart. Um, I, think. Okay. That's that, that, I think that's going to be a really big surprise. If it happens again between now and four o'clock Eastern Time on Tuesday, which is an hour from now, fifty-eight things are going to change. True. Um, sure. Mason Smith, remember, was taking a super secret visit to Georgia. Uh, I talked to someone who was standing in front of him in Louisiana while he was on the super secret trip to Georgia. He, he never went, Ooh. but ah. it was super secret. So that's a cover-up. So the person I spoke to was lying. And he was truly an athlete. It's like, this is nutty. Everything's crazy.
1: I'm so confused. And I love it.
2: I love it. And it's, I'm so tired of being
1: lied to this year, Mike. Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> Try my job, man. Every day I'm lied do, to you. I bet. Every day. And then I, get, then I get college coaches who hate me, except for like, you know, a couple days a year. Hey, Mike, how you doing? How's the family? I'm like, oh, God, what do you want? I know you want Yeah, me. what did I do? <laughs> you know, that's how my life is. Three hundred and sixty-three days a year, I'm a piece of garbage, and then two days out of the year, <laughs> I'm a Well, Mike, we think you're great, this? Mike,
1: and I enjoyed this. Amen. You're, you're the Godfather
0: with us, three hundred sixty-five days a year. That sound good? That's right.
2: Yeah, I love what you guys do, man. I've always wanted to, you know, establish a relationship with you guys and tell you how good. I like your stuff. I'm not supposed to do that because you're technically competitors and stuff, but I don't care. I'm too old to worry about that crap now. I think you guys do a great job, and I'll do the podcast anytime you want me to. I there, appreciate we that. Appreciate we, will,
0: we will take you up on that. I'm sure we're going to have to have you on sometime soon to sort through all the mess that's going on in the recruiting world. Maybe we'll have you on again before the actual signing day in, in February. So, um, yeah, this has been great. Really appreciate you coming on, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Sure, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Let's talk playoff. Playoff predictions for Sunday. I've been kind of wondering if we're gonna get a boring, relatively drama-free selection Sunday. Am I wrong for thinking that? No, we are. I kind of hope there's at least one one spot
1: that's up for grabs.
0: It's so much more. I interesting.
1: just, I just the only thing that could really happen, in my opinion, is somehow. Notre Dame's able to beat Clemson. And and that might not be that much of a shock because, you know, they were able to beat them earlier in the year. um, And this Clemson team is – I mean, like, I get what they look like. And I've I've been one of the main guys to say, like, they they did it without uh, Trevor Lawrence or uh, without playing Trevor Lawrence. But there's been a lot of chinks in the armor this year for this Clemson team. Um, Really young in places where it matters, especially in the D-line. This Notre Dame team is a really good defense. I I just think that even if they beat Clemson – the committee showed its hand last night and has even already said that there's still a path that they would, they would still be in. So it's just, at this point, like, I, who, who, like, are they going to have Clemson, who would have a loss now to the number two team in the country twice, one at Notre Dame, one on a neutral field, are, we, are they going to have a worse resume than A&M? Probably not, I guess. I mean.
0: So you think Clemson gets in with, with, with two losses?
1: that's what they were saying last night I mean I just I I don't think they should but I just think at this point they probably will I just you know I I think that more than ever I'm fully convinced that the and and this is something we should have realized earlier or I should have realized earlier is that like this is unless Texas could have somehow finagled a the fifth team in a four-team playoff this is an absolute dream pairing and field for the the committee I mean, like, in a year where you've lost so much money on on games being shown and, and, and like, you know, your sponsorships and and, and tickets from the actual games, maybe what we're failing or what I've failed to realize this entire time is they're just trying to cover their ass and and make sure they they make enough money on the back end that what's going to do that? I tell you what, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Bama are going to do that for you. So.
0: I think to a certain extent, yeah. I I think that there's definitely something to be said for that. I I also think, though – they could stand to benefit from variety and we've talked about the the lack of variety in the yep. playoff and how that has kind of alienated so like you know i have i have buddies who are more casual college football fans they both are you know they both went to iowa like are they tuning into a semifinal game with the same pairings again over and over probably not yeah. are they watching if bama is playing cincinnati or something like that in the semifinal yeah they're going to tune into that game they're going to be more interested long? in that game as long, if they're going to watch it from the start until it's a blowout, and then they're going to yeah. do something else. So I think there's something to be said for that as well. It'll be, it would be really interesting to see Clemson beat Notre Dame by like 21. Then yeah. Yeah. what happens? With, what happens with the Irish? How does that whole thing oh, play out? I'm, I'm definitely more of the Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame would have to get smashed, I think, to get left
1: out of the field I, I, at this point. With, by what, though? Because then you could still, like, again, the whole point is, is that, like, their strength of their, like, strength of record, whatever metric that is, actually, I don't think their strength of record is that high somehow, but, like, you know, their entire list of, of or their entire body of work, and, and I'll tell you what, it's the same thing that, like, Feinbaum brought this up a couple weeks ago, and he's brought up the fact that Ohio State, like, he thinks that like there there has to be something that was built into this season with, with the committee and the Big yeah. Ten being like, you know what, if you guys play, you've got a spot in the playoff. And, and and I wonder how much truth there is in that because my God, we've never seen uh, a, a team really, really uh, have a committee go to bat for them without games to back it up. I mean, yeah. we, like like they said last night again, Cincinnati. Well, we haven't seen we haven't seen Cincinnati play since November seventh. You've you've seen the other team, like your pride and joy, Ohio State, play one game against a two and three team. Is that that impressive? Like, is that more impressive than what we've seen from Cincinnati? I I don't think it is. So I just I don't think that. They're going to, in the same way they wouldn't drop Ohio State out, uh, they haven't dropped Ohio State out yet, I don't think they're going to take an, uh, a Notre Dame team that just, what have I said for months now, just you know, selflessly chose to join a conference for the sake of college football, goes 10-0, and and they're going to lead out Notre Dame in the playoff.
0: One last thing on the Irish. I think the number's 30. As I was saying before, okay. A&M lost to, to Alabama by 28 mm-hmm. points. If AM is going to be the team that's going to be able to kind of benefit from that and sneak in, that's a little bit easier to justify. The selection committee is yet to put in a team who has lost in a conference championship game. So something right. that's that's worth remembering. That last, you know, the closing argument, how that impacts them. I ultimately think that Clemson's gonna beat Notre Dame, but I think Notre Dame keeps it relatively close, mm-hmm. close enough to be able to stay in the field. So I think it's gonna go on Sunday when the announcement comes in. I think Bama's got the one seed because I think Bama wins and covers against Florida. I think Clemson is on that number two line with a win against Notre Dame, and then here's where it gets a little bit interesting. I think Ohio State dominates Northwestern, yeah. and the selection committee justifies by saying, "Oh, this was a Northwestern team that had this ranked defense," blah blah blah, and they won't bring up the comment about them having a bunch of Reese Davises. But they'll basically say, "They'll," you know, "We'll basically all kind of know what yeah. what at least is going into that." So Ohio State gets in at the three spot, and then Notre Dame is at the four spot. So then that would set up the ideal path that you said for Alabama before, which is playing Notre Dame in that semifinal game, not necessarily having to face a team that has a prolific downfield passing attack. And then you get Clemson-Ohio State, the rematch from last year, the game that everybody was talking about, great down of the wire, controversial call, easy, easy thing to be able to sell. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, you get those two matchups. You could even do yeah, I mean, I think that field makes probably the most sense with all the seeding and what is likely to happen this
1: weekend. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. Um, all right, so
0: I guess don't even have to watch Selection Sunday. Um, that's That's go. the field right there. We have Fourth and Wrong, Bagman Edition. Thank you to Jay Woody, who does such a great job putting this up. I always have this little moment, little peel behind the onion. I always have this moment, like, you know, writing notes and stuff for the podcast where it'll be Wednesday morning or like Tuesday afternoon, depending on like which day I'm doing some of this stuff. And I'll always be like, has Jay Woody posted something yet in the Facebook group? And then I look, and of course, Jay Woody's always on top of it and he's always got something. So thank you to Jay for doing that. Got a lot of great questions here. This is a good one from Brett Myers. Should Mac Jones be considered the better Alabama quarterback compared to Tua when you take into account the production scheme, durability, toughness in the pocket, ability to read a defense, et cetera? Interesting question. What do you think on that?
1: Uh, yes, because he's been more durable, for one. Um, he also has put up, I think, more consistently big games. Like, people always want to make the – the like. I mean, Tua, Tua attempted 41 career passes in the fourth quarter. I, I don't know if that makes him – the better quarterback, I think that he was on better teams that were absolutely routing people. But when I look at stuff at like, you know, I I, I love Tua, I, I love Tua, and I, I think he's the best named a pet after him. quarterback. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think he's he's the most talented Bama quarterback we've ever seen at Alabama, hands down. I will say that when that when it was on the line, um, and you talk about what happened against uh. Who was it? Um, oh, dang it! Now I can't think of it. Like against Georgia in the 2018 SEC Championship, I, you know, Jalen had to come in and win that game. And, and I know that sounds kind of odd because Tua won the national championship the year before. But like when you had a full season to really to really do this, Tua. I mean, he was ever he was never finished the season either because of injuries or um, you know he we saw what happened in the 2018 season. That's that is one thing that I will say. I think Bama fans should be wary of because. This is starting to shape up a lot like 2018, where this is the, the greatest team of all time, and they still have yet to play like superior, superior elite talent. So I, I would say Mac has been the better quarterback statistically, like from a talent standpoint. No, obviously he's not going to be a better NFL quarterback in my opinion, but but yes, in college, absolutely. I think the one difference
0: with that 2018 team was you started to kind of see when they played those elite defenses, like that game against Mississippi State where it looked like it was a struggle for Tua to be able to Mm -hmm. to kind of last 60 minutes, whereas you really haven't seen that dip with this offense against better competition, against better defenses. It hasn't really mattered. I think that so much with Mac Jones is, um, this is going to sound like a cop-out, but I'll explain why it's not, is to be determined. I really do. Like, if I'm taking right now, I would take Tua's legacy over Mac Jones, what Tua did over the course of two seasons, one of the most efficient college quarterbacks we've ever seen. I think so much with Mac is going to depend on what happens over the course of the next month. And if he's hoisting a national championship trophy, setting the FBS record for yards per attempt, winning a Heisman trophy, that's different. That's totally different. And that, Mm -hmm. that puts you in a different sort of stratosphere. And then there's still the possibility of like, what if Mac Jones comes back? What if Mac Jones comes back next year, which we've kind of talked about that a little bit here and there. And while conventional wisdom says a guy that is this big of a year is going to the NFL automatically, like, you know, we talked about that with Matt Hayes. Like, are we, are we assuming that Mac Jones is gone? Cause that could change his legacy of course as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I still think he's gone. Um, but I, I like, I, I told you all this last year against, against uh, Auburn, that he just was not getting enough credit for how tough of a quarterback he was and how good of a quarterback he was. Yeah. And it was overshadowed because of the pick sixes but i mean I, you know I, I i still say that he is the statistically trask has had a much better season um i don't think max should win the heisman with 27 touchdowns passing i just don't i, I think that that's a cop out to be honest but i think he is a, a better quarterback hopefully we'll see start to finish uh than Tua was yeah i
0: think yeah, right now, I would take Tua in that argument if you're yep. just asking me right now. And, and
1: by the way, if there's a Bama fan out there that wants to argue this and is going to be pissed off about the numbers that Tua put up, I'm just assuming you weren't flying out in the middle of the rain, in the middle of the night to go to Santa Clara, California and drive all over that GD coast to watch Bama get beat 44-16. to 16. Just a guess.
0: Too soon for you. Too soon. Uh, let's see. We kind of already tackled this one earlier, but still a good question in the last from Steven Ardoin, I think? Arduin? Arduin. Sure. Uh, he asked, who do you think will start for LSU at quarterback this week? And what will LSU look like next season? Well, I think Max Johnson, we assume, is going to be the guy. But like, the quarterback for next season is something that is going to be, as we talked about, something that LSU fans have really no idea about for a while. And maybe it takes an injury or something like that in fall camp. And it's one of these down-to-the-wire type of battles. I mean, let's not forget, like, they love Miles Brennan. They absolutely yeah. love that kid. They were hyping him up the entire offseason, despite the fact that he had never started a game. Like, they were really trying to build up his confidence. And I thought he was good for the most part before he went down. Obviously, yeah. the durability is a question. So that could, you know, things could play out based off of that. But I, I think that if, if we we're ruling out Miles Brennan as the, the guy moving forward, you're maybe, you know, let's not forget, Miles Brennan has just as many touchdown passes as Bo Nicks right now. And Miles Brennan, yeah. you know, did 't play football for the last two months so just something worth remembering but I'd
1: probably True. say Miles Brennan would be the starter I, that's um well, yeah I think we've already spoken our piece on this one I'll, I'll, I'll say the same okay um let's see what else do you have do you have them pulled up right now no I can't find them anywhere because there's a thousand
0: things posted in this in this group all right um let's see I, I didn't want to hit on another bama one and we did kind of already beat the drum with Iowa State and that re- Ridiculous ranking. Goodness gracious. Uh, Troy Troy Davis wants to know, uh, which schools pays players the most money to come there and why is it Auburn? And then two, uh, why is it so hard to get big time recruits out of the state of Mississippi? That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, they do a really good job. That's a very underrated uh, state for, from talent standpoint. Um, I feel like somebody on this podcast brought that up in comparison to south carolina it's just not even close to being the same but um i can't remember but like they just mississippi has a lot of four stars that come out of there uh they they have a lot of good talented players that come out of there they've you know not as many five stars that that we've we've seen and but i you know i i i don't know i don't know why i think i think growing up in that state Um, it's very similar, like the Egg Bowl and like the ferocity of that rivalry is very similar like to the Iron Bowl for sure, but the difference is we haven't seen, you know, one of those programs really have to take the next, this is not to be meant in a negative way, but like take the next step nationally where they can start, like, you know, I mean, Tuscaloosa is not a great town in my opinion, like it's fine, there's stuff to do, I've never been to Starkville, Oxford's beautiful, but like, you know, that's that's probably a tough sell to to bring a kid from California or Hawaii, or Texas, or wherever, and, and have them come to some podunk small town like Tuscaloosa or Starkville, because, I mean, they're only 90 miles apart, and then also have to pitch to them, like, by the way, we don't have any championships. I, I think that's probably why a lot of those kids stay home, uh, is the same reason why they're not bringing in a lot of talent from out of state as well. I, I, th- I think it means a lot to those kids, and, and like, you see it in the Egg Bowl every year. Like, those kids played against each, against each other. We hear that same cliche from Florida all the time, like these kids have grown up playing, you know, Pop Warner and, and uh, each other in high school and all kind of stuff. You really, really see it uh, in a state like Louisiana because, you know, Florida's a lot bigger too. I mean, like, South, I mean, mm-hmm. Mississippi is it's is just a, it's a much smaller state. So,
0: number one player in the twenty twenty one class from the state of Mississippi, Deion Smith, who ironically enough did get out of the state and committed to and signed with LSU, of all places, interestingly enough. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Um, The in-state dynamics, I think, are different from place to place. I know that the state of Mississippi, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State have struggled for a long time with those out-of-state recruits, those blue-chip out-of-state recruits. That's been an issue Sylvester Krum has talked about that in the past, yeah. and how difficult that is when you have a certain amount of history that's associated with the university, just the the culture within the state, all those different things. It hasn't always favored the state of Mississippi, and that has hurt them in recruiting the out of state talents. Now the in state talent, you're right. I mean, it's good. It was it was really really good last year too. And you know, when you see guys like Jerry and Ely that want to stay in state and stuff like that, I think I think that absolutely matters. Be interesting to see how that develops moving forward with those two coaches. But who yeah. pays the most money for for recruits, I mean, depends. Uh, who's who's your it's whoever your rivals. That's I what don't think.
1: Answer. Yeah, it's whoever your rivals for sure. I don't think it's it's Auburn. Um, I, just, I mean, everybody does it. Like just I just I this is the like the laziest take every year. Like everyone does it. I don't know why people get so like the Dodge Charger thing. I've already put that to bed. Um, you know, I just you will never convince me. And and if you're a logical Auburn fan, you should also never be convinced that that Cam Newton was not paid for because he definitely was uh and but like i don't really care about that as much i wish that they would just let this be the wild wild west we would have smu style 1980s you know late 1970s that type of you know (laughs) oil rush move to dallas type type situation where you everyone just has money and is is just shelling out you know constant uh five figures i think for and probably more now uh, for recruits, because the stories are incredible. I mean, like that SMU documentary is one of my favorites to watch, and I'll probably watch it again today just because the Eric Dickerson thing. The book that I have, uh, the the recording of Marcus Dupree, is is one of my favorites as well. And the kid from 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 Mississippi who who by all means wanted to go to Alabama. He's from Philadelphia, Mississippi. You know, he was like do yourself a favor. It's there's a thirty for thirty on it called The Greatest It Never Was. It's it's fantastic, but read the book especially. Yeah, and it's he came out I think in like 1982 and he was cut from the same cloth as like Dickerson and Bo and 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 this is like from what I had always heard my dad told me a lot of stuff that was not real uh and I don't know if this is one of them but I will say he, he said that he was better than I asked who was better Ho or, Bo or Herschel growing up and he said uh Marcus Dupree and and you watch some of the videos and it's just just ridiculous ended up going to to Oklahoma I think he still owns like the Sunbelt or Sunbelt Sun, Sun Bowl record for rushing yards in a game and it was like after he had gone home and put on 20 pounds over Christmas break and then came back to the Sun Bowl and put up like 240 <laughs> yards rushing, it's ridiculous. Respect. So, Respect.
0: Yeah. Uh, two, let's do two more real quick. One kind of serious one, one not a serious one. Uh, Trey Beckton asks, so with all these coaching changes going on, uh, what are some of the types of questions these athletic directors ask the candidates? Or is it just simply body of work? Just curious, what's the biggest determining factor for some of these athletic directors? I don't think it's Um, one thing specifically. It's plans for sure. Yeah, it's it's a vision. It's it's not necessarily Coach O showing up with a binder into Joe Oliva's office into Joe Oliva's office and you know a binder that apparently a couple of other staffers created. But there's a certain amount of, hey, before you sit down with a head coach, you know what they're about. You've done your homework. Those conversations go on with agents. When coaches say, like when you hear Mario Cristobal come out and say like, oh, I haven't talked to Auburn yet or do that. Yeah, that's what agents are for. Agents take care of all of that. Like as as we're talking right now, Jimmy Sexton is probably on the phone with somebody, some athletic director trying to get his client more money. That's just the way that it works. Yeah. The conversations I think that athletic directors have with coaches when it comes in, you're right, the plan. The plan is important. At a place like Vandy, if you walk in there and you're just like, I've done this, this and this at this place, blah, 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 but you don't have a plan, man, you're screwed yeah. because there are so many jobs that are so unique. And it takes a certain mindset to get them to go and to get them on that level that they need to be at. And I think that a lot of these questions are about like, all right, like what's what's your vision for for five years down the road? What do you value when you look at recruits? What have you been able to do, you know, in terms of boosters and and fan, you know, excitement and all these different things? I think it's a very like when you hear these reports that like, oh yeah, they spent seven hours with them or something like that. They spent eight hours doing this, this, and this. I fully believe that. I, I 100% believe that because you have to know every possible thing. And if there's a skeleton in the closet somewhere, you'd hope that it's going to come out. And one of these alarm signals is going to go off in your head if you're an athletic director. But I think, you know, based on what we've heard from these meetings, that it's a very it's a very in-depth process. It is, despite the expedited timeline that goes into this. So I, I think that you have so much to do if you're an athletic director making one of these hires. I mean, it's probably going to determine your future as well.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: Alright, last question. Wes Medeiros, Which is a better Christmas movie? This is easy. Yeah, a Christmas really easy. A Christmas story or Elf? Elf. A Christmas Story is not a great movie. Christmas Story sucks. Yeah, it's it not very good. Sucks. I hate that movie maybe more than any other movie. Maybe more yeah. than any other movie. Um Elf is good. Elf is fine. Like the people that freak out over it, I think it's it's a little bit much. You can only you can't watch I don't think you can watch Elf at any time of the year. I, I don't. And yeah. and I know there are certain people that are like that. I think Home Alone Two you can watch any time of year. Yeah. Any time of year.
1: I just yeah, I got so many, so many thoughts on Home Alone Two and that family. Um I mean that that bill, he gets mad about the bill being uh nine hundred dollars first off it should have been way more than nine hundred dollars um you can't be mad at him also that you ran up on your credit card because you forgot him at home for the second straight year yeah um the other hottest take i think i have on this and and like i need to repost it again because it's the best thing i've ever written that i did a fake yelp review of the plaza hotel as kevin McAllister, the, the dad from home Loan Two, um and they actually kept it up on the plaza's uh like yelp like website or whatever it would be for for three weeks and didn't realize that it was like a a joke like they were like like it was like a one-star review that I left up um on on the like 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 on the plazas I guess Yelp site or whatever it'd be so um but but like you know one if if I was homeless and just helped you escape death and your family didn't even invite me up to the like to y'all's suite that you were staying in for free um, and then not to mention that you let Kevin go back outside by himself Christmas morning to go give two turtle doves. Guys, first off, don't give Christmas ornaments as a Christmas gift. Because that's like, just give them fish if you're gonna give them something that has a shelf life of several hours before it's, it, you can't use it anymore. It's a ridiculous gift to give, um, and, and she's homeless. So I just feel like she probably immediately spent that on crack. I, it's a ridiculous ending to a movie. I'd be wow. furious if I was her. Um, I, yeah, I, just, I have a lot of problems with Home Alone 2 in general. It's, it's a fantastic movie, it's a fun movie to watch, but there's just so many different things. Not even from like the broken bone standpoint thing that people always like to bring up. Like, I love oh that. my gosh, like, th- there's so many different injuries that would have happened here, and those are always fun. But at the same time, it's like, man, like there's just, there's just so many holes and, uh, you know, flaws in that plot. So I don't know if that answers the question at all, it probably doesn't, but that's how I feel about Home Alone. I love Home Alone 2 so much. Might need to go
0: watch that tonight. Might yeah. need
1: to watch that as a post-signing day
0: um, little uh, reprieve to be able to watch Home Alone 2, which we've still not watched yet this holiday season. And that just cannot happen. Cannot happen. And don't give me this Home Alone 1 is better than Home Alone 2. No. No, 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 no. I'm not a fan of that. Not a fan. All right. This has been great. We talked through a lot of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff today. Um, SEC Championship this weekend. So weird. We're... Nine days, by the time people are listening to this, eight days out from Christmas. Um, I, I have looked at a calendar a million times this year and forgot when things are, when things are supposed to be, all that stuff. So I'm totally thrown for a loop. If you're not following us on all forms of social media, you should totally be doing that. If you are one of those people that just wants to be able to get your news, in your email or something like that you don't like social media subscribe to the saturday football newsletter that's saturday.football i promise you you will not regret it you're going to be the most informed college football fan you're going to get all of your news sent to you in one place go buy a t-shirt from our friends at breaking tea all over yeah. the saturdaydownsouth.com websites um I, I promise there is a shirt there for you even if it's just the saturdays are better in the south t-shirt as well got one of those coming on the way merry christmas to connor um definitely go over and do that Marlon any last minute prediction or you just want no I gotta pee oh alright
1: okay good enough it might mean too much alright talk to you guys soon